0: Thank you.
1: Open Minds UFO Radio. I am your host Alejandro Rojas, and I am on my own. No Jason McClellan with me today. He is still uh, moving stuff in his trip to to uh, his quest to move to Idaho. So uh unfortunately today's a busy day for him so he's not going to be able to be on the show but that's all right because uh i'm still going to cover the news and stuff for you before we have our guests for today uh and like i said we're doing some updates so today we are updating you on ufos over mexico we've got ruben uriarte and carlos guzman Carlos is a UFO researcher in Mexico who worked with his partner Alfonso Salazar to write a book called UFOs Over Mexico, Encounters with Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. And so Ruben Uriarte, who we've had on the show before, uh, talking about uh, UFO crashes in Mexico and the such, is partners with a man named Noe Torres, who has also been on the show. And they partnered up to update uh, Carlos's and Alfonso's book and to translate it into English, and they just released it on their. Uh, publishing label, which is RoswellBooks.com. So really cool. So it's a great book with some interesting cases. So we're going to have Ruben and Carlos on to talk about those. And uh, this is really cool because we've got Ruben on in California from the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. And we have Carlos on from Mexico City in Mexico. So we've got an international show today. Uh, We've got uh, the magic of the internet Allows us to interview people from all over the world. Uh, However, before we do that, we will do UFO news as usual. And I have this gorgeous woman looking at me right now. And it is Megan Fox because I have this story up about her And a recent interview. So this is kind of cool. The title of the the article that I wrote about this is called Megan Fox defends her 1,000% belief in UFOs. And I think this is neat. Uh, I know she's she's a celebrity. She's no authority. But uh, she is doing interviews for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which just aired on Friday. And on Thursday, one of those interviews was with MTV News, where the host says, hey, Josh Horowitz is his name. He says, you know, just like April, the character uh, that you play in the Ninja Turtles, you are into the paranormal. And she kind of rolls her eyes and is like, whatever. Well, actually, she's more like, you know, okay, you know, she rolls her eyes as if, I know what you're going to go into, that you think I'm crazy because I believe in Bigfoot. And she starts just immediately, she's like, I know what this is about. This is about Bigfoot. I don't think it's too weird to believe that this huge animal could live in the forest that we don't know uh, is there because it is, uh, in her words, because it's intelligent enough not to be found. So, you know, she feels that the Bigfoot's real and then Horowitz says, well, what about UFOs? And she says, yes, I believe in them a thousand percent. And then she goes on to say, how can you not believe in UFOs? So she's obviously really into the topic. She goes on to say that if they are a more advanced species, why would we be able to find them if they don't want to be found? And I think that that is a really good argument. In fact, that's kind of my own argument for this phenomena. If these things are so advanced... And they are so beyond us. If they don't want us to know they're there, we are not going to know that they're there. And I think, I don't know where I said this recently, but I said this on air. I think it was our show, but um, I don't, I'm doing news updates for podcast UFO. I don't know. And I've done some other interviews, but I've said this before because I believe this, and this is uh, was also said by Jeffrey Bennett. He's an astrophysicist. He believes that it's entirely possible that we're being visited. He's a mainstream astrophysicist, works with SETI. He writes these children's books too, uh, which is really cool that they've been reading on the uh, space shuttle even, or on the, I'm sorry, that's been retired, the ISS. And uh, he's a great guy. He spoke at our conference last year. Even though he's very mainstream, he says the same. It's possible we're being visited, and if these things are so smart and they don't want to be seen, then they're not going to be seen. And she's pretty much saying the same thing. And you know what, uh, Miss Foxy lady, um, her name's Megan Fox. That's what I'm referring to. I agree with you. Harowitz doesn't. He laughs and he says, well, that seems like a convenient excuse is all I'm saying Well, convenient or not, you know, hey, buddy, you're really getting on my nerves. But he wasn't only getting on my nerves. He was also getting on Megan Fox's nerves. And and she replied, but until we find things, they had previously been unfound, yet they still exist. So she's saying just because we haven't found it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. There's plenty of things we haven't found yet that do exist. Just because we haven't found them yet doesn't mean they, they don't exist and so, he he's laughing at her the whole time and, and everything, and which is not cool, but uh, then he asks her about ghosts. She says, yes, I believe in everything, and she goes on to tell a ghost story, and he kind of laughs at that, but it just shows, you know, kind of an A-list actress, such as Megan Fox, even has to kind of uh, um, defend herself and uh, put up with this sort of, of ridicule when she's talking about her beliefs in paranormal, so unfortunate, but that's how it goes. But I thought it was really cool that she stood her ground and defended herself because she didn't have to, you know, uh, in the face of being made fun of. But uh, that's some of the news that, you know, uh, a lot of you would rather hear less about celebrities and more about UFOs. But I think the celebrity stuff, I've said this over and over again, is important because, you know, a lot of people take their social cues from these people and uh, they feel, hey, if Megan Fox can talk about it, then I can too. And uh, so that's cool. Yeah, Megan Fox believes in it, so you can too there, uh, little whippersnapper. Some of the other cool stories. There was a UFO video that came from Wales, and it's really interesting because uh, this was taken in Wrexham in North Wales uh, by a gentleman named David Price. And this is fun because people turning to social media yet again, you know, going to Facebook or going to, to Twitter to talk about their UFO sightings, um, in this case, this guy posted, sent it to rexum.com. This video where these lights are flashing, and it looks kind of interesting. You can't tell what it is. And uh, then on rexum.com's uh, website, these uh, people posted. At least one person said, "Hey, I saw that too." So, uh, and he says they definitely were not Chinese lanterns. Then dside.com Dside is a nearby town. And uh, the local paper there, dside.com, said they were tweeted some information. A guy says, hey, I saw some strange lights over the town. Uh, What's going on here? So it's some people kind of other witnesses going on social media. And it's cool. We can see these uh, sightings kind of play out on social media. Uh, The dside.com actually responded and said, you know, there's nothing caught on radar, so we don't know what it is. And uh, however, finally... Uh, They did post an update late last week, Wrexham.com, on this story because someone had tweeted them and said, I think this was a couple helicopters, Chinook helicopters that came out of uh, a nearby base. Uh, It was probably the Royal Navy or the Royal Air Force. And uh, so they updated that possibly this was the answer to the sighting. But I'm not so sure that these things look like helicopters. You're going to have to take a look at the video and see for yourself. It's kind of interesting. Um, Another story that came out, there's a really popular UFO sighting in Australia in 1966. In fact, it is in Westall, and it's often referred to as Westall 66. And there's a documentary out on it and, and a lot of stuff. Well, essentially it was these people in a park, including these, these high school students who saw this UFO land and then take off uh, in, behind some trees. And now there's a gentleman that's saying, well, he's uh, showing that there's a report of this UFO looking thing that was flown by a balloon and that one of them got loose and that he believes that that's what this was, This this balloon, I think it checked on, on nuclear tests. And that's what he thinks it is, and he's showing these government documents that were just released on this secret project uh, with these balloons. Although he doesn't say, you know, specifically that he can prove that the there was a wayward balloon during the period of time, but he can't say for sure where it went um, and, and what part of the country it was in. So uh, although this could possibly be an answer, it's not really definitively proven to be the answer. Uh, But this Westall is such a big deal that they're actually building a park with a a UFO that looks like um, uh, what was seen by the people there. So pretty interesting there. Um, More news. And then finally, I'll, I'll cover one more story, even though. Jason and I are supposed to cover one story each, but of course we uh, often cheat, as we call it, and cover maybe a couple stories. But this last one we just posted, and this is another one from Roger Marsh, the Director of Communications for MUFON, and it's a very interesting MUFON case where a gentleman in Australia saw, um, well, he took some pictures on July 29th, and, or a video, actually, and he sent some stills of this video. And in it, he believes he caught a mushroom-shaped UFO. Now, when you zoom in on the craft, the object actually looks more like it's a, a, a perfectly U-shaped object, kind of like a uh, headrest that you would take onto the airplane, you know, those little pillows. Uh, it looks a lot like that. So very interesting. It does look solid and metallic. Is it a balloon, perhaps? I don't know, but it looks pretty neat, and this guy said it was zooming around, so kind of a cool case that we have up. So uh, there's some news for the week, some interesting stuff. Remember, you can go to openminds.tv to read all of these stories and look at these pictures of Megan Fox. So that is openminds.tv, really interesting news, and you have to go check it out because it's really cool. However, what else is really cool is our interview with Ruben Uriarte and Carlos Guzman about UFOs over Mexico. So let's go ahead and talk to those guys about their new book. All right. I am very happy to welcome to the show two of the authors of UFOs over Mexico, Ruben Uriarte and Carlos Guzman. Hello, guys.
2: Hello. Good morning. Thank you very much for this opportunity, Alejandro.
1: Oh, for sure. Really excited to talk to you. And how are you doing, Ruben?
0: Good. I'm um, doing well. I'm right here in the beautiful San Francisco Bay area. So you have Carlos sure. in Mexico City and me in, Southern, in Northern California.
1: All right. Great. Yeah, This is. it's fun. It's cool to be able to do these uh, international kind of discussions, huh?
0: Yes, it is. And, and I'm real happy to have uh, been working with Carlos and his, uh, and his other co-author, Alfonso Salazar, and, of course, with Mr. Noe Torres, who unfortunately couldn't be with us today.
1: Right. So the book, uh, UFOs Over Mexico, just came out. Uh, the subtitle title is Encounters with Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, and it looks like the original version was in Spanish, written by Carlos Guzman and Alfonso Salazar, and then the English edition uh, Ruben, you and Noe uh, Torres, who have been on the show, uh, put that together. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, that's correct. Yes. Uh-huh.
1: So, uh huh. So that's really exciting. And uh huh. Yes, Carlos. Uh no, that, that
2: that's correct. I, uh huh. Well, uh, well, I have to say that uh, the word that uh, made uh, Ruben and Noe was very hard and was normal because. Uh, our book, I mean our book, because I, one of the author, the other is, as Ruben said, is Alfonso Salazar. Uh, well, they up updated the, the work and um, they made a lot of correction and also they make a lot of uh, recommendation. And so, well, I think it is a very good job. It's uh, an enormous work from here to there. <laughs>
1: Mm-hmm. So uh, we've had Ruben and Noe on the show before, but uh, Carlos, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your background and Alfonso's.
2: Uh, okay, thank you. Well, um, you, you see, my interest in this subject, in to study the UFOs, came from the childhood. When I when I was uh, ten, uh, occurred here in Mexico. One of the biggest flats that we have here in, in Mexico. Um, all days uh, from uh, the different state of Mexico, uh, we received a report. Uh, well, the the diary, the the newspaper received many reports from different part of the country. And at that time, I am thinking, what is happening? Why all the news report all days report from Tijuana, report from Yucatan, report from Tamaulipas, from everywhere, and that's the event that's catch me my attention, and then I start to study this phenomenon. Then the, the past time. And I became more interested in this subject. I made, uh, different interviews. With, well, I traveled to other country and I started to write, to, to write, to write, uh, book about this subject, uh, since about, uh, 15, 15 20 years ago. And that's the reason why I'm here now. Mm-hmm. And and you used to be
1: were you a Mexican representative uh, to APRO the uh, U.S.
2: Uh, organization? Yes, in the past, uh, um, perhaps uh, somebody remembers that APRO, NICAP one was one of the first um, organization in USA that uh, that study uh, around the world the UFOs phenomenon. So I started to be. Representative of the April and NICAP, and today I am Mexican representative for MUFON. Um, and <clears throat> uh, well, um, you know that uh, Mufo is one of the biggest organization around the world that study the UFOs. Mm-hmm.
1: I think Ruben has something to do with MUFON, too.
0: Yes, um, <laughs> as, Carl, as Carlos said, he's the national. He is the national. National Director for uh, Mexico, representing MUFON, and I'm the uh, Northern California State Director for uh, Northern California, and I am also a international coordinator. I work very closely with some of our other MUFON officials, working closely, you know, like our good friend, uh, Mr. David McDonald and, s- and several other uh, great people, where we coordinate with our MUFON chapters across, the, across various countries.
1: Mm-hmm. So also, um, one of the things I noticed on the book, which is kind of neat, is that you got a a comment from Jacques Vallée, which is kind of exciting because he's a pretty elusive character, Um, of course, uh, an investigator from way back when and uh, very renowned uh, in this field. Uh, How did he get a copy of the book? Uh, do, Do you all, some of you have a relationship with him?
2: Um, uh, well, well uh, let me tell uh, let me tell you, uh, Ruben. Let me let me tell yeah, you, Alejandro, please. that uh, when the the book was written in Spanish, uh, in two thousand and one, two thousand and two, I have the opportunity to send a copy to uh, Mr. Valle. Well, Valle received the copy and uh, he wrote uh, some lines some lines about the the book. And well, he expressed that he is uh, very surprising that uh, there are a lot of sightings here in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the reason why we include the work from uh, Mr. Valle in the English edition.
1: Yeah, that's really yeah. neat.
0: The, the other aspect to that, uh, Alejandro, is that both Carlos and I, and also Alfonso, are very much involved with NARCAP, uh, National Aviation Center for. National Aviation Reporting Center for Anomalous Phenomena, and both uh, Jack Delay and, uh, of course, Dr. Richard Haynes and, and, and a number of other researchers uh, all, are all part of that. And so that's one of the reasons why we've been focusing a lot on the whole issue of, uh, you know, aviation safety. And I think you've got a flavor of that. Remember, uh, Alejandro, when we had our symposium back in 2008, the MUFON Symposium. Right. Uh, we had uh, it was practically uh, half of our speakers were uh, spe- uh, were associated with NARCAP, and of course the focus was on aviation. So both. So and then also our, our other current books that both Noe Torres and I have written have also have had that whole aviation factor involved as well. So working with Carlos and Alfonso as. Uh, been a big eye-opener because mm-hmm. I was just amazed with the amount of cases uh, that were coming um, from various regions of Mexico which is just a snapshot of what's going on throughout the world
1: mm-hmm yeah really cool um, and, and 2008 that was a great move on uh, that was definitely uh, one of the one of the best in recent years and and people mention that even to this day you know um, oh thank you. So, also Alfonso. Maybe Carlos, could you tell me a little bit about his background, also?
2: will uh, well, yes. Uh, well, Alfonso is the the other co-author, and um, Alfonso work in the international Mexico City airport, in the Mexico City International Airport, and he is uh, basically he is he's he is a mechanic, and he work uh, he has worked for different airlines company. And that's one of the reasons that, that we have some facility to know a lot of cases because, well, uh, working there, I mean, referring to Alfonso, working there, he, uh, he had the opportunity to contact with the pilot, with, with also with tower con- controls. And that's one of our first sources of, of the uh, Ford for uh, the information that we have seen in the book. And, well, Alfonso is, is a man, he's uh, uh, around uh, 50 years old, and, uh, well, he is uh, seriously, and, uh, well, he he knows a lot of this subject. I think here in Mexico is one of the 10 Mexicans that uh, know a lot about the phenomenon.
1: Mm-hmm. So in the book, the book has a lot of great stuff. So so we'll get into that, and um, the you kind of go chronologically. So you all talk about the phenomena beginning in Mexico in the '40s, similar to the United States. Um, you know, in the United States, we have the Kenneth Arnold case. Uh, even though really during World War II, people saw Foo Fighters. Um, did did the phenomena parallel the United States uh, at its Inception in Mexico.
2: Yes, uh, <clears throat> it's almost parallel, and I think it's more older than in the United States. Here in this book, we um, register cases from the nineteen forty, but we are preparing a second part that uh, um, we consider all these cases from the series. Mm. But uh, the, this uh, this edition will start. As you as you mentioned, since the forties. So, like we have Kenneth Arnold,
1: is kind of a keystone case. Uh, uh, it's often referenced as the beginning of UFO sightings, even though we had earlier ones too. Is there one in Mexico like that one uh, in the forties that that kind of put UFOs on the map out there?
2: Uh, well, the, exactly in this book, we started on 1948, which is uh, one year uh, after Ops, Kenneth Arnold. And Ruben uh, suggests uh, me that uh, we have to include a very interesting case that I would like that Ruben mentioned because uh, start with a crash. Uh, near Nuevo Laredo, Tamal, Lipas, which well is is a part of in Mexico, in the north of Mexico, and I would like that uh, Ruben comment these cases and why we included in the book. Ruben, okay. can you help, me, please.
0: Yeah, uh, we we had included uh, some of the UFO crashes that had occurred along the U.S.-Mexican border. And uh, w- one of the earlier cases uh, had occurred back in 1948 um, near. Uh, let's see here near Laredo, uh, Texas, um, but on the other side, where supposedly there were these uh, a UFO that was shot down over in um, on the Mex on the Mex on, in Mexican airspace by t- by two U.S. F- uh, Air Force fighters or F-80s. Apparently, we learned about this through different sources. Um, I, I wanted also wanted to mention, I, I know Carlos is working and Alfonso on some earlier cases. I'm going to go back to the 1800s. Do you recall, um, Alejandro, the big airship sightings that were going, It's being seen in, um, in Aurora, Texas, or throughout Texas in 1897 and in California? Right, right. Uh, yeah, these airships were also being seen in, uh, in Monterrey, Mexico, and, and so the, you know, around the same time frame. And there was actual uh, uh, a newspaper report that, uh, from one of the local Mexican newspapers in Monterrey that noted the sightings of these airships. So it goes even it goes even way back then. Of, of of these sightings uh so uh, eventually there's going to be an as Carlson mentioned another book that will go back more historically but the last Carlson mentioned there's been a number of different flaps uh, in mexico um not just the, the real famous ones in the 1990s but you know as he mentioned there was one back in the in the 40s or late 50s and then a major one in the 60s and with that yeah there's there was a, also a uh, so many uh, incidents of, of pilot encounters with unidentified aerial phenomena.
1: Mm-hmm. Was there an early case in Mexico that was kind of a media hit, um, you know, that really caught the media's attention? Yeah,
2: Yes, uh, we could mention that uh, in our book uh, uh, in the 50s, there are a very strange case kid-related cases, uh, uh, that, um, that happened here in Mexico, that happened in, 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 in Sonora, in the Sonora Desert. And uh, this, uh, uh, this event is happened to two uh, airplanes of uh, Grumman F-8 Panthers. What happened? Well, uh, the daily newspaper La Prensa ran a story that's about two U.S. military airplanes, Apparently, apparently, uh, have a emergency landing in Sonora Desert, and some people that uh, are that some researchers think that uh, uh, and speculate, of course, that they are forced to land uh, because they have some encounter with uh, UFOs, and. uh, even, even we have the name of the of the military that are uh, that are um, piloting um, that are flying sorry that are flying the this uh, kind of, uh, of aircraft. Uh, one of them uh, is the the name of Joseph McCarthy, he's uh, a lieutenant, and the other is Harold Warren. So why why I say this is a uh, very important cases because this cases is related with an event that has that happened in 1977. What happened in 1977? Well, if you remember, Steven Spielberg uh, produced the movie Close Encounter of the Third Kind. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in if you remember that in that picture at the beginning. There are uh, some Grumman Avengers plane that was discovered in the Sonora Desert and within perfect condition. That's what happened in the movie. And, but uh, what, what catch my attention is that why Steven Spielberg put that event exactly in Sonora Desert that the same events happened in May, 1950, because the explanation is that remember that Dr. Allen Hynek is the consultant for the movie. But uh, this is a very strange uh, analogous. This is a very strange relation um, between the cases that really happened in the 50, when another, another event, well, of course, that happened in a movie, but uh, uh, well, this uh, this event is explaining explaining it in, in in the book.
1: Now, uh huh, go ahead. Oh, oh, just just to, uh,
0: piggyback a little bit what what Carlos was mentioning. Um, as of course uh, there were the the two F eight uh, Grumman uh, jet fighters, and this happened again during the fifties when we were at war um, during the Korean War. And also, if you recall, there was a lot going on in the 50s here in the United States where a lot of our, our own jet fi- fighter pilots were encountering these UFOs. And, uh, wasn't until you know, during the 50s that many of these, fi- many of our top, top, uh, notch fighter pilots never made it back. So, so, uh, this is a really interesting, and as he mentioned, as Carlos mentioned, uh, J. Allen Hynek was always uh, used as a consultant, and he had a lot of interest in a, in a number of these cases uh, that have been occurring in, in Mexico.
1: Mm-hmm. And that was the case of the Jets um, disappearing, or? Uh,
0: they were forced to land, for, or they, la- uh-huh. they had to do a forced landing on the Mexican side of the desert. Okay. Um, and that attracted a lot of attention, as was Carlos was speculating. As well, why did that? What was occurring okay. there? And the fact fact that even Spielberg would use a similar story line If you recall, uh, those five uh, Avengers, those five prope- propeller World War II airplanes that got lost in the Bermuda Triangle, were found in the Sonoran Desert. Right
1: in the movie. Right, and,
0: right. And I, and I loved what that guy said. I think I don't know if I could quite quote it, Beadle. Salió el cielo, el, el, salió el sol en el cielo y me cantó. In other words, the sun rose into the sky and it sang to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that was a great movie.
1: And it sang, doo 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 doo. doo, doo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. So then, some of these flaps that went went on. So uh, the flap that happened in the '40s, Carlos, I got you involved, uh, like. How, um, you know, how big was it? How many sight Were they having sightings every day? Uh, here,
2: here in Mexico. Right. Well, let, 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 let me try to, to understand the, the, the question. Well, uh, we have many reports here in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Why, we, why we, we have many reports here in Mexico? Well, remember that uh, the Mexicans are very curious remember that the Mexican likes the legends remember that the Mexican liked the history from that uh, uh, some strange thing happen in in outside of the big city and that curiosity uh, provoked that many Mexicans uh, see the sky every days so they have the opportunity to discover something unexpected uh, if you compare with the people that are not used to see the sky and that's one of the reasons I think we have a lot of rapport because uh, the Mexicans are very curious Uh, of course that uh, probably and and this is an hypothesis is because we have uh, many interesting here in Mexico why uh, many, uh, what i talking about? We have the pyramids. The pyramids that are in a different state of Mexico probably, probably have some focus of, of attention, probably have some focus of energy that uh, in those places the UFOs are photographed many times. Mm -hmm. And the other hypothesis is that the volcano that's are here in Mexico, remember that also the the volcanoes emit some energy from the center of the earth. And what I'm trying to relate is that the UFOs, as you know, uh, one of the hypotheses said that they fly following energy lines. And the energy lines... Could be
1: magnetic lines. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's why you you feel there uh, there's a lot of sightings in Mexico. Do you, and Ruben, I guess as the international director, do you feel that there's more um, on average sightings in Mexico than other countries?
0: Well, uh, it um, we we're, we're, yes, there is. But then um, you know, with this database that we now have with MUFON and the more uh, Uh, now that we have have included a lot of many other countries as well Uh, we're starting to get those um of course there's other databases that carlos is aware of uh, from different other organizations in mexico but as he was mentioning there there is tends to be a focus of ufo activity over one over major archaeological sites throughout mexico as he mentioned the, the major pyramids um in in different sections of the country and of course, uh, Carlos, a t- t-
2: t- <laughs> so, and then um, uh,
0: as well as the, um, the site of the archaeological areas, and there was the other point. See, I'm getting a little old there. He'll come back to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's it's funny. Carlos the the, the uh, noise is <laughs> coming from your site, too. The distortion <laughs> is really weird, and uh, it's kind of cool.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm in the backyard, so I got distracted. That's what lost my train of thought. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry about
1: that. No problem. I mean, so Reuben, also uh, the 40s, when uh, that and the book, you talk about the 40s, but uh, maybe you can speak a little bit to the uh, flap that happened in the 40s.
0: Well, you know, as it, it progresses, although we started in the 40s, uh, we started to go into the 50s and into the 60s, and so. What we've started to do was uh, there were some very interesting um, cases that came up in in the 50s. One, one of course, we had um, the other unusual sighting of, um, but one of the cases that we also added to the earlier 50s to the earlier 50s was a the case of uh, Robert Willingham. I I, I believe we've talked about that on one of your uh, earlier. Interviews with you way back With right. NOE where it dealt with uh, The other Roswell The UFO crash that occurred right again On the Texas-Mexican border The uh, other um, Cases that we found Very interesting too, Carlos um, may, I don't know if you would like to talk But oh, now now that, now, now The point came back to me I wanted to mention uh, uh, Volcanoes, as Carlos had mentioned There seems to be, again uh, a n- number of UFO activity over volcanoes, uh, and this has been observed by a number of witnesses over the years. And of course, you have one of the biggest volcanoes uh, next to one of the largest metropolitan cities in the world, which is Mexico City. Uh, Mount Popocatépetl, which is one of them, and of course stew of other volcanoes uh, in Mexico as well as throughout Latin America. What what also is really interesting in the book, uh, Alejandro, and and, uh, Carlos mentioned this earlier, I was, many of the reports back then came from the press. So there's a wealth of information that was written by the newspapers um, about all the different sightings. I, I was just surprised how how easy it was, I believe, for these news reporters to have direct access with the pilots and to get their wow. to get their stories. Whereas now, here in the United States, I mean, you have to go through um, a PR person or you have to go through a point of contact. Uh, you'll, they they really buffer anything away from the pilot, so you won't have. Uh, additional um, contact with them but a lot of the a lot of these cases are all based on the research that Carlos and Alfonso did with all the newspaper clippings the, the other thing too i uh, was really really caught my eye was also the number of ufo sightings that occurred after earthquakes and there there were a number of, of instances where there would be a major earthquake near mexico city or near, uh, or in some cer- certain part of Mexico, and then uh, later uh, the uh, airplanes would be flying over that t- over that area. Uh, they would the, see the pilots would see some sort of strange lights, or then again, uh, these lights would start pursuing the aircraft. And so uh, that that's another aspect. Uh, later, I'd like to go into is some of the uh, common findings that pilots were having with uh, with these UFOs or UAPs.
1: Okay. Um, But one point you touched on, and uh, Carlos, uh, you know, Ruben talked about how you all seem to have more access to pilots. uh, And is your media uh, more receptive or more open to covering UFO reports than the American media, which kind of, you know, makes fun of it a little more? And and like Ruben said, they don't really give as much access directly to pilots and, and, and things like that.
2: Well, uh, yes, in, in 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 a certain way, yes. Here in Mexico, all the media, TV, radio, newspaper, are more open to insert this kind of, of event in his news, and this is one this is one of the uh, positive uh, facts that we have uh, that. Uh, in order that we register a lot of cases, because uh, the the thirties, the forties, and the fifties, uh, most of the uh, cases that that we have in our book uh, came from the newspapers. So uh, I think here in Mexico, especially in in those uh, decades, uh, they are more uh, open and. They are more. Um, uh, they react more more positive to publish this kind this kind of of note, and in the present time, uh, uh, the, TV, the TV commercial, they are more open to present the um, the different uh, videos that the people. That the people have the opportunity to to take here in Mexico. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happened in, in other countries, but but here in Mexico are open openly to to this event. but this means that that uh, this uh, the, the this open way to 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 uh, to announce the different the different events we we couldn't say that there are many researchers here in Mexico there are a lot of people who want to see a ufo but here in Mexico don't have a lot of researchers hmm.
1: and it's a big area down there um and uh, it's it's interesting it's great to hear too that the the media is more open um and it seems like south america largely is similar where the topic is also taken more serious.
2: Yes, okay. yes, probably. And, and remember that here in Mexico, Mexico City is one of the biggest cities all around the world. Remember yeah. that we are 20 million people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a lot of people. So, Ruben, uh, you wanted to talk about some of the similarities uh, in the pilot cases. Is that correct? Uh, that sounds interesting. Did you want to elaborate on that?
0: Y- yes, uh, because... Uh, uh, if one's interested in uh, aviation encounters and that, uh, they could go to the website uh, NARCAP.org, and um, there you can going get, get a lot of wealth of information about the issues that are, that can come up when a UAP or UFO comes close to a proximity of the aircraft. But what, what Carlos and, and Alfonso, as they were bringing, writing on this research and also with the intent that we have, of course, uh, the big issue is uh, I- aviation safety, and a lot of times what we're finding is that uh, these pilots—how oh, perfect an airplane's flying right over me as we're talking—yeah,
1: there's yeah, some pilots uh,
0: there. Uh, there was uh, um, many times these uh, pilots would have to take evasive action to avoid a uh, collision, or they may have to take a detour or change their flight route uh, in order to avoid that collision. Sometimes the flight instruments are affected mm-hmm. and become non- non-functional. All we found this true, which I found fascinating, was the amount of objects that were hover over new airports, and that would knock out the instrumentation. Can you imagine the air traffic control tower uh, getting offline as you have air traffic coming in and out? Wow. And so we so that happened on a multi uh, on a number of occasions. Wow. Down near, near the uh, Mexico City's air International Airport, as well as some others. Um, it, what makes this really interesting, too, is that these these objects are seen by multiple witnesses. So they're observed by the pilot, the air crew, and the passengers. So you have multiple witnesses that will, that will verify an event. And if we're lucky, or uh, they may take a video of the, the object in flight. Sometimes, again, as I mentioned, they'll fly and actually pursue an airplane over a period of time, and they may cut right across the flight path of the plane, or they'll they'll follow the airplane as it's landing or taking off. That's the, the other really strange thing that goes on, or they remain stationary right above the runway. So that makes it uh, a, a major hazard. Wow. And, and some of these other things that come up, too, and, you know, that I found interesting was that the objects made land or hovered near the airport again, uh, near close by and actually land, uh, land ne- near a hillside or even on the runway or nearby runway. So that becomes a big major issue o- over a period of time. Some, some, some of the descriptions of these uh, objects, they, they come in different forms, Alejandro, from flying saucers to disc shape, oval shape, uh, uh, metallic spheres, some that look translucent or transparent, luminous lights. Some of them that, that are shaped like a manta ray. That, that I found that interesting. Or uh, cylinders or tube-like. Um, sometimes even the weird things, um, there was a report of it looking like the sponge shape or worm-shaped type, type objects. And they come in different colors, you know, black, white, red, uh, metallic. So there's a whole... Oh, number of, uh, of commonalities that we found in this research and how it compares to other pilot encounters in other other parts of the
1: world hmm really interesting maybe we could talk in, in particular about some of the cases um, do you maybe Carlos have a couple favorite
2: cases that you think are particularly fascinating yes. Yes, uh, I have a, a couple of cases. One of them happened in 1975, and I think it's one of um, our best cases. What happened in 1975? Well, a uh, young uh, pilot came to Mexico. He he, he was flying from uh, Michoacán to, to Mexico, and the name of this pilot is Carlos Antonio de los Santos Montiel. I have the opportunity to talk with him many times, and uh, well, I think his his experience is, is is completely real. His experience is unique, and and the experience of this Carlos Antonio de los Santos uh, is about that he was uh, back into Mexico City, and when he was flying over. Uh, Lake Tequesquitengo in Morelos. Uh, Tequesquitengo is very close from Cuernavaca City. And uh, uh, Tequesquitengo is about uh, 55 miles to the south of Mexico City. Well, when he was flying uh, over uh, Lake Tequesquitengo, he, uh, feel that, uh, that, arse, that something is watching him. And he turned to his uh, right hand, and he discovered uh, a small disc in his uh, wing's right. Immediately, he felt the sensation that uh, something happened in the left uh, wing. <laughs> he turned, and he saw another small, small oval UFOs, and uh, immediately uh, a third object appeared. Almost in front of him, because he's flying this third object is coming towards directly to the small plane, and the third object uh, situated uh, below the small plane. Well, uh, what happened? What happened is that Carlos Antonio started to feel? scared, started to to feel uh, um, very uncomfortable and he immediately, uh, he saw the different instruments of the small plane and all are crazy and all was crazy and uh, well he uh, started to call to the tower control, mayday, mayday, I'm flying but I'm not controlling my plane. Mm-hmm. I'm not controlling my plane, Mayday! The tower control answer, okay, Captain. What could you? Uh, what happened with you? What could could we help? Help in in, in which manner? And, and all of this, I I tell you very quickly. But uh, uh, the event take about 18 minutes. And at the end, when the small plane is reaching Mexico City and exactly above the Mount Ajusco, Mount Ajusco is in the south of Mexico City, the, the, one of the objects left, left the, the small plane. Immediately the second and probably the, the third. Uh, Carlos Antonio said that he couldn't the, the, the see the, the third object when he left the plane. But uh, well, uh, um, Ruben mentioned uh, before that uh, this that uh, we have some cases that are uh, the testimony came for uh, from the pilot. The testimony came from the tower control, the testimony came from the radar, and the testimony came from another plane, which are flying more above than this small plane. So, uh, I think this is uh, one of the best cases that are uh, written in in the book.
1: Wow, cool. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty incredible case.
0: Uh- just to – I'm sending you right now the actual – it's a 38-second transmission of the pilot calling Mayday, Mayday, Mayday. And the whole 18-minute ordeal was uh, recorded by the air traffic controllers, Alejandro. So it's one of the one of the well-documented cases. And um, I just wanted to say, too, it, it ties in. Earlier to another case that both Noe and I have been really interested back uh, in the Koyami case of 1974, where a small object uh, collided with an airplane over the desert of Chihuahua, Mexico. And what makes the Carlos de los Santos fascinating is the fact that it was three small discs, uh, as Carlos had, had indicated, Carlos Guzman had mentioned that was observed by the pilot uh, two on each one on each side of the wing and one underneath the fuselage so uh, all this was being observed by the uh, air traffic controllers on radar as well as on the uh, um, as well as having it recorded so hopefully uh, it should come through and it might, maybe we might be able to play it
1: yeah cool i will uh, play that right now hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey
0: the um, just to go also what 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 we found was there were a number of other cases where uh, pilots in small airplanes especially as well as commercial planes had also observed these small disks so it, it just gives us that that evidence that what had occurred in the Koyama crash was caused by small disks and the fact that again these small disks uh, could be a major threat to aviation safety and mm-hmm. actually as uh, Carlos Guzman was mentioning the uh the one plane, the one disc that was underneath the the fuselage of the of Carlos the uh, Los Santos uh, airplane, the the small disc actually collided with the with the fuselage and actually made a dent. So when wow. when Carlos uh, uh, flew his airplane back and landed, uh, he found the dents underneath the fuselage. And of course, there's more to the story that Car- Carlos r- wrote about, because uh, you know, uh, Mr. Carlos de los Santos, Carlos Guzman, I mean, he um, went. He he wrote that, uh, later that uh, Mr. Carlos de los Santos, in an interview, mentioned that he was actually approached by the Men in Black. Really? He was told not, yeah, this is this is one of those rare cases the back in the 70s where the Men in Black come into play, and uh, they had. T- told carlos de los santos not to say anything hmm. maybe uh, uh carlos um if you wanted to elaborate are carlos <laughs> if, ah. if you would you like to elaborate
2: a little bit about that thank, yes yes Ruben, thank you well as, as uh, Ruben said uh, also we have uh, uh, these cases because this is very interesting is unique unique because, uh, the man in black uh, appeared to Carlos Antonio de los Santos when, uh, he is, uh, he was, uh, um, he, he was directed with an interview in, in a TV, in a, in a local TV. And the world, the man in black, uh, uh, appeared in, uh, in a big car, in a, in a black auto, you know, and, uh, he uh, the the men in black reached reach him and uh, he and and they and they and they said to Carlos Antonio de los Santos that that don't speak about his experience. If he loved and and it a word that he said. If you love your family, forget all about. If you love your family forget it so uh, this is uh, this is a, a unique event and Carlos antonio de los santos uh, uh, stopped and um, they don't and he don't and he didn't present to the t v program uh. and uh, well another point of interest of these cases is because Dr. Allen Heineck came to Mexico to know to know him to know Carlos Antonio de los Santos. That's the reason why we consider this one of the three biggest cases in our book. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh,
0: Carlos, uh, I was going to mention that. I think did not Jack Valle also come to interview Carlos de los Santos along with J. Allen Heineck? I, yes. I think, yeah. So so we so we had some interest there and. Uh, there was a lot going on in the seventies uh, yeah well, really what, I wanted
1: basketball. to ask about the men in black Carlos do, like do you have any sense as to who those were um were they reported as strange people? you know some people think they're they're maybe even ets themselves because they look weird but uh, uh, or do you think they were maybe American uh, government people what's your sense Carlos of who those people were?
2: Yeah, well, uh, remember that the uh, men in black uh, in the first story that we know is belongs to in the 40s uh, when, uh, when one of the hypotheses said that this, uh, this kind of people uh, are uh, people who, who uh, rise to United States because uh, in some cases they refer, they refer that they have oriental eyes and the skin was uh, the oriental people and i think it belongs to a government uh, organization Mm -hmm. Uh, here in mexico i i know only two cases that the men in black has just appeared to the witnesses one of them was uh, that we are talking about the case of Carlos Antonio de los Santos, and other cases is related with uh, psychology, which, which, uh, well, uh, in the in the 80s, uh, the, he made a lot of study that are in asban at as his time. That's the only two cases that that I know here, and my feeling is that the men in black belong to some. Uh, government
1: organization. Hmm. Interesting. So, Ruben, were you going to mention another case from the seventies?
0: Oh, uh, uh, yes. Um, yeah, there was, um, you know, not, not, you know, we always hear about the the buzzovers of UFOs to President Reagan or when he was a, especially when he was a governor here in California. But there were uh, two events actually uh, that happened where a UFO flew past the presidential airplane back in 1976, the DC-8. Uh, the journalists, uh, as well as the, uh, the uh, air crew, they saw this object flying on the left side of the uh, president at the time, which was uh, Luisa Cheveria. And then, although this is early in 1980, uh, there was another uh, presidential plane that was also being followed by a UFO and that was uh, Mr. Jose, uh, our president, Jose López Lopez Portillo. And he was flying uh, in the, uh, they had the code name for the name of the plane. It was called Quezacualla. Okay. And uh, so <laughs> that was pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, they were, it were they, the plane, uh, uh, they encountered this huge bright disc-shaped uh, object while they were flying over the Caribbean Sea. And so this incident was kept hush up and it was never made public until just recently from the research that Carlos and uh, Alfonso had done. And just, just to make a point, we also came across some cases where pilots were were really, were reluctant to say anything because uh, they too were concerned about their jobs. They were concerned how the, uh, how their airline employer or the upper management would react to them. So you still have a little bit of that. But fortunately, as Carlos had mentioned, Alfonso, uh, him working inside the aviation industry as a mechanic and, and learning from other pilots, uh, they were able to share with him all these uh, various uh, points of the stories. And then he was able to contact some of these uh, some of the sources.
1: Pretty cool. Very, very interesting. I mean, these cases are great, and and it looks like the book's chock full of them. How did how did you all meet? Like, how did um, Ruben, uh, you come to uh, work with uh, Carlos and Alfonso? Uh,
0: Carlos, you want to
2: mention that? Yeah, 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 Ruben. Well, uh, um, you know that Ruben belongs to the Mufion Organization? And I met Ruben many years ago in one of the symposiums that uh, happened in in a state. Uh, I think the first one that I get in touch with Ruben was in the in the 80s uh, in in North Carolina in North Carolina. In North Carolina, yeah, in Richmond, yeah, in, in Richmond. That's right. Yeah, in 19, 19, uh, 1994 or mm-hmm. five. So uh, you see, uh, well, I know I met Ruben many years ago, and uh, let me tell you that uh, with his help and support, the uh, the book in English uh, perhaps couldn't uh, be published there. So I have to say uh, thank you very much, Ruben, for your help, for your support, for your friendship.
0: Oh, thank you. The, the book that La Losovni, La Aviación Mexicana, was an important book. Alejandro and uh, well, I was we were really fortunate at the time, also uh, working with my great friend Noe Torres, that uh, has uh, really has had also a major part in, in uh, putting this book together. Um, so it was really uh, an interesting but rewarding uh, task working with Alfonso and with, uh, uh, with Carlos, especially in, uh, translating the documents into, from Spanish into English and also, um, adding on the additional information. So I think, uh, it's going to be an eye opener, uh, hopefully for many people. It just confirms that something very strange is happening in, over our skies.
1: Yeah, really cool. So, um, is that a cat now behind you? You have got dogs. and I, Are you at the zoo? Do you live next door to the, the zoo there? <laughs> this is my live
0: studio, oh. uh, my live outdoor studio, and that's my cat that was uh, trying to get my mother to
1: open up the door. <laughs> oh, how funny. How nice, though. I mean, uh, the weather's probably awesome there, I'll bet you. I'm jealous. It probably feels great out. Oh, you can hear the do- you can hear the doves uh, cooing in the background too. That's the, uh, funny. Yeah, all those <laughs> animals. So I guess to wrap up, guys, Carlos, uh, you've written uh, a few books on UFOs, and do you plan to, to write some more?
2: Yeah, yes, I, I, um, As a matter of fact, I, I I am working on the second part of this book, which I which I think it could be it could be uh, amazing. Because uh, in the in the coming book, probably next year, probably uh, we uh, wrote uh, cases that was uh, forgetted in the past, cases that was uh, forgetted in the newspaper of the of, of Mexico, and we start with a similar case that happened uh, in the in the forest. Uh, do you know the the cases of Stoman Mantel? Yes, uh-huh, where he, well, he chasing well, a UFO and crashed. Right, right. Well, we have exactly almost I think an analogous cases here in Mexico but in the series. So uh, the, the this is one of the of the world that, that I'm working. Another 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 um project that I have is that uh, I am am, um, working on the UFO crashes here in Mexico because uh, the people all around the world doesn't know about what happened here in Mexico with the uh, UFO crashes. And we have uh, probably, well, uh, uh, you know the word that uh, Ruben and Noé and Noe, Don, about the crashes that occur in the border. But uh, uh, we are working on the crashes that uh, occurred here in Mexico. And we have uh, uh, three or four very important crashes with a lot of testimonies, with photographs. And that's the other project that I am working on. And well, I. I have probably for two or three more books that I'm that I'm projecting. Another book is could be the abduct, uh, the contacted people here in Mexico and ad- adopted ad- adoption um, cases. And uh, probably I have uh, for five or five years more uh, to write uh-huh. some, some more more book. We we call We call Carlos
0: the Stanton Friedman of Mexico.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Well, that's great. I mean, that sounds like really cool, interesting stuff that, yeah, like you said, you know, not a lot of people know about, especially here in the United States. So, um That is really cool, and hopefully – like this book is published by Roswell Books, which is uh, a project uh, for you and and Noe Torres. Is that correct, Ruben? And uh, hopefully you'll be able to publish some of these future books of Carlos's as well. We
0: hope hope so, yes. uh, To get the book, you can go either on our website on uh, www.roswellbooks.com or go directly to uh, Great Space or Amazon.com. But you go to roswellbooks.com, that will link you right into
1: uh, the Amazon. Oh, well, that's awesome! Uh-huh. go ahead.
2: Also, I have to say thank you to to Noé yeah. because, as uh, well, he uh, interested he he was interested in my book, and that's one of the reasons that yes. it was published there. So, uh, uh, um, please, uh, Ruben, tell tell Noé that. Oh yeah. Uh, thank you very much for this support. Opportunity Mm -hmm. uh,
0: and and Alejandro you're what you're seeing here is Collaboration on both sides of of our border working together with our other other contacts uh, like Carlos and and, and Mr. Alfonso and some of the other great people that are there uh, Because without them uh, we we wouldn't be able to share this information to the general public
1: Right. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's so cool uh, to see this and then Ruben, like, your future, you have probably uh, a, an extremely important event coming up that you'll be presenting at, and that is, of course, uh, the UFO Congress this yeah. year.
0: Yeah, I'm so thrilled because I, I've never been to the conference before, and then to be invited as a speaker,
1: uh, <laughs> I'm
0: really really, I'm, I'm uh, grateful for
1: that, yeah. so... Uh, it, it's uh, paramount to being invited to the White House, being invited to the <laughs> Yes, uh, hopefully
0: uh, we can get Mr. Carlos Guzman to come down next oh, year. Oh, that would be after, fun, afterwards. yeah. Yes.
2: Well, Alejandro, let me tell you that Ruben has just invited here in Mexico. Uh, at the beginning of this year, he, uh, he was invited by a friend of mine who lives yeah. in, in Morelia, Michoacan. and He was invited to be one of the uh, speakers. And also, Ruben was invited some years ago in another event that's occurring in Chihuahua, Mexico. Yes, yes. And so, Ruben is very well known here in Mexico.
1: Yeah, yeah. Ruben's a great guy. He's known all over. He's on TV. We're just on Unexplained <laughs> Files. So, that's really cool. We're excited to, to hear more about these cases at the Congress. And, uh, I wanted to thank you both so much for being on the show. And, uh, Carlos, definitely keep in touch because we would love to hear more about your future projects. And uh, is there anything more you wanted to say uh, about upcoming uh, projects for you, Ruben?
0: Oh, yes. Uh, both Nelly and I are working on the uh, the the event that's going to be taking place in Presidio, Texas. Actually, it's going to commemorate the uh, the uh, Mexico's Roswell case yeah, that occurred in, in near coyame but it uh, is very close to the proximity of the border near Presidio. So we're having a big UFO festival.
1: Cool.
0: I up on October 25th. So, you know, people can go on our website and they can learn more about it. So, you know, uh, it's, it, it's it'll be a great event. we got Nick Pope and we've got uh, some very other interesting speakers that will be there.
1: Awesome. All right. So roswellbooks.com uh, is where people can find out more. Great. Thank you both so much for being on the show.
2: Thank you, Alejandro, uh, very much for this opportunity. Uh, For me, it was an honor to stay with you. And and thank you,
0: Alejandro. Uh, Just to let you know, I will always keep an open mind.
1: Thank you. That's that's, that's a good idea.
0: (laughs) (laughs) going to go along with, with Open Minds TV.
1: Thank you so much to Ruben Uriarte and Carlos Guzman. Uh, Remember, like he said, you can go to roswellbooks.com to read more about what Ruben and Noe are up to and to also get this book um, that is a translation of the book by Carlos Guzman and Alfonso Salazar. So go check that out right now, roswellbooks.com, and order your book. Today, as you heard, really, really interesting cases, and if you want to meet Ruben and hear more about these cases, maybe see some pictures and video kind of stuff, then you've got to go to the UFO Congress, and because Ruben's going to be speaking there. I don't even know if we've announced that yet, but uh, I just officially announced it here, I guess. But we have announced some of our speakers. You can go to ufocongress.com and see that. We're posting more every day. So finally, you're getting to see who's going to be coming. We have some really exciting speakers and some cool people that are going to be there. Uh, I'm really excited about our lineup, so you're going to have to check it out. A lot of people we've had on the show, such as Joan Bird, who talked about uh, UFOs in Montana. She's a PhD. Um, uh, I, I am drawing a blank on... Many of the others, but I'll tell you over the next few weeks more about those speakers. Also, you want to go by the end of the month and register because you get your major discount. Remember, this is five days for $200, and that's unheard of. Really, most conferences are only weekend long. They start on Friday and on Sunday, usually early on Sunday, and they charge you thousands of dollars. Not really. I don't know that there's any that do that, but they charge you a lot, a lot more than two hundred or three hundred dollars. So um, we're a deal because we're twice as long and we are less than the rest. So, and and this is like the conference. I mean, it's the biggest and uh, the coolest, and uh, it's it's beautiful. Speaking of a good conference, though, up until now, the UFO Congress has not been rivaled, but I want to say thank you to the Contact in the Desert people. They had me speak out there. I had standing room only, which is befitting of my um, quality of lecture. <laughs> Pat myself on the back there. But really, uh, I did have standing room only. There are people sitting on the floor and everything. actually, because they had so many dang people at this Contact in the Desert. So they are really rivaling our conference. So we've got to up our game. Luckily, we are this year, people, up in the game big time. So, But, uh, uh, hey, healthy competition is always nice. And they were really super nice at Contact in the Desert. So I do want to thank them. Uh, it was a really fun event. And it, and it was cool to hang out with some of my friends who were speakers there, and uh, and attendees, and uh, so that was really cool, thanks for having me, and uh, and hello to all of those people who were uh, there at my lecture, thank you so much for coming and making it so great, it, it felt great to talk to a room of, you know, literally there were people sitting on the floor at my feet, there were um, people standing in the background, of course one of these people sitting at my feet fell asleep uh, for a second and was snoring, I had to wake him up, and uh, it, it offered for a fun fun funny moment but uh uh, i guess my talk did bore at least one guy to falling asleep or it could be it was really warm in there because it was hot and like it says it's in the desert so you gotta like some heat but it was a lot of fun so thank you guys for that um also don't we've got a new spacing out up this week we're not gonna have our last week uh, on on Friday so you got to check that out with Jason and Maureen we're not gonna have one this week because our video guy is out of town for a couple days however we'll have it back next week and actually I'm gonna be joining the crew so uh, because Jason's in Idaho he's gonna be doing some remote stuff so I'll help Maureen host and that's gonna be a lot of fun uh, so check that out soon and uh, and what else uh, I told you about the congressman and also our, if you go to our web page, we have a video portal now, and this is really cool. And we're going to be promoting this a lot more uh, coming up here. But uh, all of our lectures from the Congress we're putting online, and we're going to allow you to watch them for a very low fee. So, like, you can watch it, uh, rent it for a couple days, you can buy it, uh, and have permanent online access or you can have a subscription that's like six bucks. It's really cheap a month. And then you can watch all of our videos anytime, all day, every day, over and over again. Uh, It's it's well worth it. We've got about a dozen videos up there now and we're going to get more up there soon. So it's our video portal. Uh, Check that out at openminds.tv. And finally, I want to thank the guy who does the opening and close music. That is Caleb Hanks. And he uh, does. He has a website where he has his music posted at uh, theclerkchronicles.com. You can just Google The Clerk Chronicles too or Caleb Hanks and you'll find it. And really cool music. Uh, I always get a lot of people saying, hey man, that music's cool. Where can I get it? So go to Clerk Chronicles and you can get it there. Except for the opening piece because that is custom music. Just for Open Minds Radio. Thank you, Caleb, and thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Ruben is really cool. Uh, it was great to meet Carlos, uh, at least virtually. He's a he's a cool dude too, in my humble opinion. And uh, and you all are so cool for joining me every week. Thank you so much, and adiós muchachos.